The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Jerry, we're a third of the way through. You're coming off of a walk-off win last night. What do you make of your team? Uh, you know, a really nice homestand, seven and three, and really the month of May, like we talked about last week. We we made a ton of progress, and we just have to keep beating this drum and, and moving in the right direction. The pitching has been uh, it, a little bit uh, unexpected. We, we hit some some potholes this uh, this homestand, but on the season to date, again, as good as you could expect, best in the league, and I do feel like. Despite the constant starts and stops, the offense has made progress and, and the bullpen secures them. So uh, two-thirds of our team is operating at full function, and, and the, the third element is, is kicking into gear a little bit. When you say three-thirds, that's what, pitching, defense, and, and offense? Is that how you look at it? Yes, and I, and, and I do think the offense is, you know, we're, we're seeing progress, especially our younger players you know, that, that we expected to be the drivers of the club. I think, you know, Julio and Jared and, and Cal Raleigh, those guys have, have carried their water. JP and Ty France are are roughly JP and Ty France. We we are not as long in the lineup as we would like to be. And, and we'd like to get the, the contributions from the back end that we, that we had anticipated throughout and feel like that will come, uh, you know, it's, and, and if it doesn't, we'll find a way to solve it. Yeah, so so let's talk through a few of those guys and, and maybe starting with Julio because his last, what is it, 10 or 11 games now has really just been incredible. Another multi-hit game last night. Any idea what helped it click for Julio? Uh, a lot of work in the cage. You know, Julio spent a lot of time in this homestand with his hitting coach and, and you know, really just getting back to a good body position, a posture in the box and We've talked about it periodically here on Thursdays and, and certainly with Julio uh, as the season has progressed. You, you get in bad habits as the season goes along. And, you know, part of being, uh, you know, being coached or being a coach is, is leaning into those bad habits and trying to, to unplug them and get back to the things that you do well. And, you know, it, during the course of a 162-game baseball season, you're not recreating what players do. You're just trying to get them, you know, as close to their, their norms as you possibly can over time and, you know, and don't let it erode. And, and I think it did erode on Julio in the middle of April there and, and just started to, to eat away at him. Now he's back to doing the things he does and, and comfortably looks like himself in the batter's box. When you say working with his hitting coach, is that a personal hitting coach? Is that the Mariners hitting coach? Is that, what, what does that look like? So all of them, actually, there's it, it, each of our players and I want to, well, almost all of our players has their own hitting coach. <laughs> and, you know, in, in Julio's case, Julio does have his own hitting coach who did spend time here at this homestand and, and uh, including you know, time with, with Jared DeHart and Tony Arnrich. We, as a practice, lean into uh, our, our players, individual coaches. And uh, we tend to, uh, I philosophically we believe that the best thing we can do for our players is find a way to work together with their, you know, their crew. Because if, if we try to alienate a player or we, we say, this isn't how we operate, we have coaches, you know, we have final say, it just doesn't work that way. You know, that's not where players are and you have to meet players where they're at. So, 
he has, you know, Julio has a hitting coach and he came in, he does a wonderful job. We have a great relationship with him. He works very well with, with Jared DeHart. And, you know, we always get the, the, the message before he's coming in. And, and I think the results this time through speak for themselves. He, he looks so much more comfortable. And and just because I think this is, you know, something that not everybody fully grasps about today's today's game, how common is that for it to work that way around the game? Not just with the Mariners, but around the game. More common than you might think. But uh, I would say more common in the last four or five years than ever before. And, you know, there might be teams that have a stance that, uh, you know, that's fine, but not on our space. We, we, we don't do that. We embrace it. And it's something we, we talked about years ago when we first got here. We have to find a way to lean into the players, systems and programs and people and, and make it one program so that we're not constantly working in a juxtaposition with one another. There's find a way to create stability in that player's life rather than creating, you know, I guess, adversity. And that's what we try to do. Is that true with pitchers also, or are they, are there, is that not sort of the same deal with their personal coaches? No, the the pitchers do have personal coaches. They tend to work with their personal coaches almost exclusively in off season programs. Uh, Their, their programs are more built up. And during the season, you don't get a lot of independent, you know, visits. And, and I think that's largely because the the, the pitching, uh, especially the, the starters, there's so much work time in between that the, the pitching, our pitching coaches, our pitchers are constantly in tune with where their body's at. The, you know, with the hitters, it's an everyday thing. And and you sometimes can't see the the little, you know, difference that that creates a slump that starts a downward trend and you know and and sometimes with a hitter you need to tap in it's always that extra cage work and some things that fans just don't see even if you're prone to watching batting practice it's it's the work that's happening in the cages inside the clubhouse and you know that's where you know the the independent hitting coach or our guys really start to grind and make a difference and oftentimes you know it's all relational we have we'll have uh, coaches in our minor league system, a hitting coordinator, a hitting coach at a different level who has a good relationship with a player. And we have historically, when we've gone into those slumps or downward trends, we'll just call that coach back to Seattle hmm. and have them come back because it's all about the voice. It's, it's who can, can resonate with that hitter at that time. So the other sort of turnaround we saw, as you mentioned, Jerry, was, was, you know, three starts that did not look like the starts we've seen from your pitchers all year long. We've now seen one of those guys bounce back, obviously, with, with quite, quite a bit of gusto, George Kirby last night. What goes into that? I mean, we, we know he's competitive. We know that, uh, certainly he was facing his childhood, you know, team, all everybody watching and everything else. But what did you see different from George Kirby last night? Uh, I thought George had, and George always pitches. I, I think many would be taken aback if they realized how competitive George was out there because he, he's such a nice guy. That's what he presents. But he's not a nice guy when he's pitching. And, you know, and he wasn't nice last night. And it's a, he, he got after it all week long. There was an edge to him. I, I think, you know, as you said, he was taken aback by the fact that, that he got hit around a little bit against the Pirates. And, and that's not normal for George. And not just normal for George in this great run that he's been on, but, you know, in his baseball life. It just doesn't happen to him very often. 
So I think he took it personally, and he went out there last night, and I thought that's the best command that he's ever had. And this is one of the elite command pitchers that you'll ever see. So to say that is is pretty extraordinary, but I thought he was terrific. We have to get a shove report on last night. I got to imagine it was pretty good. Uh, 97. It was, it was very high. Which 97. Get 100. What was so he was ninety seven. It was Castillo last year that hit a hundred in the playoffs. Is that right? Yeah, and we've had we've had a, a couple more hundred this year, including George. But uh, you know, it's the, I think we've had four hundred one hundred since huh. the this since we started using these shows stores years ago. And, and uh, uh, ninety seven is a big number. I mean, it sure seemed that way. I was there last night, and I guess other than the ball that JP caught, which was scalded, I mean, it just seemed like he was in complete control. So now, you know, we've seen him bounce back. I don't worry as much about Logan. We've seen him, you know, have bad outings and jump back out before. But what is what what does the process look like with a Bryce Miller who really gets hit around for the first time in his career? Yeah, I thought for Bryce it was very different. You know, for for Logan and George, I. I Good offensive clubs put good swings on him, drove him into the the strike zone, and 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 gave him a difficult time. And like you said, they've managed that before. You know, while this hasn't happened often to George or to Logan, frankly, they they've shown that they can bounce back from these things. In Bryce's case, I think he just looked a little tired. You know, the, the first inning of that game, this was you know this was the first time in Bryce's professional career that he's thrown three consecutive starts on five days rest. And I think the the idea that he goes out there in the first inning, he's buzzing 95, 96, he gets through it pretty simply, pops up Aaron Judge, and it looks like a normal start. You know, the nuance here is that by the time he went out for the second inning, his velocity had dropped two or three miles an hour, and his command left him. You know, he, he wasn't he wasn't as easy in hitting his locations. He didn't walk anybody but he wasn't hitting his locations. His secondary stuff wasn't as crisp. And I just think you saw the fatigue of multiple consecutive five-day starts for the first time. And we've talked about this on these airways before. This is, these are lessons that that young pitchers, young players are learning about long seasons. And the only way you learn them is to live through them. And, uh, and we, I think we behaved in the right way. We, We tried to get him out there. Uh, for as long as as he could sustain it in that game and then take advantage of these off days that are coming up. So will you do anything beyond just give him the extra day off that he would get for the off day? Or is it just, you know, business as usual, but he gets an extra day of rest this time? That, you know, it's it's giving the extra day of rest. It's the benefit this time of two off days in close proximity. Mm. So, you know, he'll have an off day leading into this start, and then he'll get an off day buffer. So this next time through, it's two six-day, uh, uh, I guess, six-day starts. And, and uh, you know, that should do do the trick. I, again, Bryce is fresh-armed. He's athletic. I, I don't think this was, uh, you know, a, 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 some, a signal of, of something to come. I think it was just a, a one-day struggle where I think you saw some fatigue. And, frankly, that's what I think we watched for the first couple of games against the Yankees. You know, we're playing our, our 11th, 12th, 13th games in a row. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's tougher than you think. I know it's, it's, it's not just a reality TV show. The guys do get tired. And, and uh, I think we played a little bit tired the last couple of days. And it's good that we have these days off. So you're a third of the way through the season, as we mentioned, this sort of where the uh, evaluation phase starts to turn into the action phase or the tinkering phase. What are the next steps for you and Justin? 
Uh, picking up the phone, getting in touch with the other 29 clubs. You know, we're in June now. This is this is the month where we start making our blanket phone calls as to, you know, what teams are planning headed into the trade deadline. Uh, and this is it's probably going to be a pretty busy three weeks in that regard because once teams start their their draft meetings, which will probably happen for most clubs about the third week of June, uh, once the draft meetings start, those calls will slow for a little bit. So the next three weeks, a big check-in phase, we'll find out who's willing to do what. Uh, and you generally share with the other clubs what it is you're looking to do and, and some of the issues you may have. Uh, somebody is inevitably going to ask you what your surplus is, and 29 clubs will answer, I'm not sure we have surplus, <laughs> but this is what we need. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, we, we do have an idea. And, you know, as we talked about through the offseason, we will go into the trade deadline uh, part of this season looking for a bat, wherever that bat might fit. And it's, uh, positionally is you can't really focus on positions. And especially in July, that's very difficult to do. You don't know uh, who's going to be available or what. So we'd like to, to create uh, length in our lineup. I think our pitching staff, again, has been – incredible and you know fingers crossed health will will be as as much our friend as it has been in years past and, and we'll continue to do the things we're doing but for us it's it's all about offense and we're going to get some help back internally here with uh with andres muñoz and dylan moore and hopefully that helps but it, it'll be a fun month for us as we hopefully continue to play well and, and find the ways to get better moving forward. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, is what can this team do in the next couple of weeks or however long it is before, you know, you make a decision on that to affect your decision-making if they play better, do you go bigger? I mean, does that, does that change the way you might act at the, at or before the deadline? No, I think you see it, you know, with Luis Castillo, and I'm not sure you can go bigger than, than the rock at the deadline. And we did that a year ago. And I think that is more representative of our mindset is that when we go big, we go big for players that we feel like are going to be here for a, a sustained period of time. And in, in Luis's case, we talked about this minimally, we were getting the 2022 season and 2023 and, and we, we thought we had the chance to keep them here. And, and that wound up being the case. We'll again, focus on players like that in the, the available veteran crew. We're, we won't, I, I guess we won't turn our eyes from, you know, the, the expiring contracts, potential free agents. We're just unlikely to view that as the big get pouring it out for, for a short-term rental player. It doesn't make sense for us just in, in terms of, how we build our roster or philosophically. So think more like if it's big, it's going to be a player that's sustainable. If not, we'll try to do those, you know, those small, I guess, under the hood type trades that are, that wind up being a lot better than you think Mm -hmm. and, and, and adding, but anything is open to us right now simply because we know what we want to do to get better. We just have to find the right dance partner to do it. Do you think, and I know it's early, but you know, we sort of, I think have a sense of who the veteran bats who only have, you know, a a half year left of club control are. Do you have a sense as to whether or not there will be those other sort of Luis Castillo equivalents in the, in the market this year? There always are, you know, it's a, they're, the, the rental bats, you know, the guys who are, are pending free agents and 
those are fairly easy to see. There'll be a list of them that come out on everybody's rankings, you know, between now and, and July from anywhere from MLB Network, the ESPN and the like. Uh, we tend to focus on and the players on that list that, that have a little bit more control. We also have a fair bit of conversation with clubs about players that you might not think are as available as, as clubs are willing to make them for the right returns. And those are the trades that we generally spend more of our time on. And sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they don't. But, you know, we tend to spend a little bit more of our time focusing on what this does for the Mariners in 2023 and moving forward because, you know, what, what we are attempting to build. And I, and I think the foundation we've laid is suggestive of is that we want this to be a, the long game. We want to win year in and year out. And, and we feel like we're on the right path to do that. You mentioned uh, a couple of the guys that you should get back and, and let's just sort of do our uh, weekly update phase of this with uh, both Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore. And then I'll ask you about Burrow as well, because I just keep following that story to see what's going on there. Yeah, well, I mean, Mooney and, and Dylan should be back, you know, fingers crossed, no, no further delays should be back when we get to San Diego. So uh, anticipate seeing them in San Diego on Tuesday and, you know, if that uh, if that holds, that'll be a nice add for us. Uh, obviously, they're they're good players that make our team considerably better, and and it'd be hard to imagine our bullpen getting a lot better than it's been. But when you drop an Andres Munoz on it, it does. It gets a lot better, and you know that's a big boost. Uh, there's as far as as Perlander goes, the you know the bullpen experiment is is proving to be uh, worth the the the. The squeeze, I suppose. He's, his, his last outing was a little bit rocky. He walked a few and gave up uh, what I think are his first runs as a reliever. But the, the outing before, his fastball averaged, I think, 100.2, which is what we were anticipating. You know, he's putting him in the bullpen. You were going to get a much bigger version of his fastball. His slider is always a, a difficult pitch to handle or hit. We, we have to help him, you know, continue to refine his command. And, you know, it's, he just needs to be in the area. And when he's in the area, he's, he's tough to touch. There's another couple of guys that are throwing the ball incredibly well in, in the Arkansas bullpen. And, you know, Isaiah Campbell, who's on the 40-man in his mid-90s with a slider. And maybe the, the new pop-up uh, prospect du jour in our system is Ty Adcock, who was actually the right fielder on, on George Kirby's college team and an eighth-round pick for us uh, a couple of years back, has had a lot of injury, and this is the first year he's healthy. He's older for his level uh, as having been a senior sign, but you know, he's, his average fastball is 97-98 right now with a ferocious breaking ball, and he's lighting it up in double-A. And he could be a guy that lands on our radar pretty quickly as well. You guys just have a, a – I mean, I don't think it's too much to wonder when these teams call you and say, hey, where's your surplus, what your answer is. I mean, it, it just seems like there is just arm after arm after arm and all at double A or above right now. Yeah, it's, it's such an exciting group of, of pitchers. And, and I know our, our pitching people, when they come to, to work every day, there's, they find ways it, because the, the Ty Adcocks and the Prelander Baroas, you know, with, they've, in Ty's case, he's always been a Mariner. Prelander obviously has, has played for other teams in his prospect years. But uh, 
when these when these guys come to the Mariners, there's an excitement about working with our pitching programs, and and I know our guys feel that confidence when they come to the ballpark every day, and and uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty fun to watch the way it evolves, and and to look at a pitcher around the league and say, man, what could we do with that? <laughs> that's a that's a fun you know a way to watch a, a ball game at any level. How many All Stars should your team have? Uh, boy, right. Tough question. Uh, hopefully over the next month, it's, it's more than that. It might look like today. It'd be hard to envision an all-star game without multiple of our pitchers in it. Uh, you know, I don't know with the exception of, of, you know, Kelnick, Julio, uh, Cal Raleigh, I think, are all candidates to make the all-star team. Uh, I think J.P. Crawford has played incredibly well, although that's going to be a, a position of a little more, uh, I guess, there'll be some some competition there, to be sure. But Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, I, I guess you could argue Bryce Miller, although he might not have the bulk to, to add up when it's all said and done. Paul Seawald, it's, it's a... You could you could make an argument for half a dozen of our pitchers, you know, being on the the All Star team, and and I suspect that multiple of them ultimately will when it's said and done. Going to talk uh, in less than an hour now, nine thirty this morning, Jerry, talking to uh, Ron Francis, who just got his extension done or at least announced yesterday. What would you ask Ron Francis today? There's, I don't know if I'd ask him anything, but really just praise him for the discipline that he's shown in, in building the roster. I think it's, it, it, it seems to line up with his personality and uh, it, what they've done in such a short time to build a foundation for success and, and not to chase the, the moment when it, when it flew by. There's, you make one bad decision at, at a trade deadline. You make one bad decision at, when you think you're closer than you are. And you do so much damage to the next multiple seasons. And now I admire the fact that while playing so well, they showed some discipline. And, and you know, I, I guess I'd ask them, how good are the young guys that they have been piling up with these draft picks that they've accumulated in the first couple of years? Because, you know, to, to the naked eye, it looks like they are set up for an extremely long run of, of good hockey. Well, it seems like the Mariners have done somewhat of the same thing. A lot of good young players, and, you know, maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's the year after, but uh, the sustainability of this looks pretty on point. Jerry, uh, thank you, as always. We'll do it again next week. All right, Mike.